it's Laura Giles, your host of Modern Animism Radio. You know, I can't believe I don't think I've ever talked about love on this show. And I don't mean romantic love, and maybe that's a topic for another show, but agape. It seems obvious now, but if someone didn't know that that underpins everything in modern animism, they might look at it and not see it and think, so what? You know, that's such an important piece, and I just assumed that others would take it for granted that it was there, you know? Without love, none of it makes sense. And with love, it doesn't really matter what you call your spiritual practice because love is a great neutralizer. It brings us all to the same place. That said, it's hard not to know what you know. It's hard to see through anyone else's eyes except your own. So this should have been a no-brainer. I should have caught it sooner, but I'm glad we're talking about it now. And I hope that you'll tune in because maybe we have been having a lot of misunderstandings and disconnects. And I hope that this podcast will clear that up. So let's acknowledge our ancestors and get this show on the road. Acknowledge the element of Earth and thank you for this beautiful planet that we live on. Our bodies that allow us to enjoy and participate in this life. For sustainability, for stability, our foundation, our perseverance to get through this time of Corona. I acknowledge and give gratitude to air for our breath. Breath is life. I know many people are struggling to breathe right now with the coronavirus making its rounds. We're finding out how precious air and breath are, so I'd like to give gratitude and remind us all to inhale and exhale. It sounds so simple, but so many of us are still holding our breath right now. I acknowledge the element of fire and ask that you help us to keep our inner fires burning with purification, passion, and love. I hear stories of some who are feeling angry, suicidal, and depressed over how things are impacting them. Fire keeps things clean and warm, so we all need to tap into that right now. I acknowledge and give gratitude for water, for reminding us to flow and not get frozen in fear. Life keeps moving and so must we. One of the best ways to not get stuck is to keep moving. Just do something. I give gratitude to all of you for tuning in, telling others, and sending us your support. We rely on your emotional and financial support to be here, so thanks for every like, share, and social media comment. And if you'd like to donate, please hit the button on our website at www.pansociety.net or from the Podbean app. Thanks. So let's talk about love. Love is innate. It's inside of us. We are love, but it's also social. If you look at the way that it's expressed, it varies from culture to culture, doesn't it? Think about Italians. You see that they're really expressive, aren't they? At least Roman South. They're high touch. And you see love in their architecture, literature, cooking, clothing, everything. Love and beauty go hand in hand. And in Italy, it's a very beautiful culture when it comes to singing, visual arts, dancing, and anything that can be expressed. It's sun-kissed. And it's sprinkled with love everywhere. Now contrast that with, hmm, I don't want to call anybody out, but I'll let you fill in that blank. Think of a low-touch culture where people don't talk, don't touch. The buildings are functional. The cooking is bland. The language isn't complimentary or floral or soft or any of those things that make you feel comfy. comfy. It's more direct, cold, sarcastic, that kind of thing. See what I mean when I say that love is cultural? We learn how to love. We learn how to tap into that seed inside of us. It's either nurtured or it isn't. It's either shown or it isn't. Or sometimes it's shown but in ways that are confusing. For example, maybe you know someone who, or read a book about somebody where one of the characters grew up in a household with addiction, mental illness, or violence. 
sometimes one of the parents was angry and scary and then other times they'd be kind or said that they loved their kids i know as a therapist who used to work in domestic violence and still works in trauma i've heard over and over that a partner gets abusive sometimes really savagely abusive and then the person said but he loves me that's learned if you grow up with that you learn that violence is coupled with love or behavior that isn't loving is love you know maybe cursing at people or calling them names is okay because you still love them or let's look at another example maybe you grew up in a family or heard about someone who grew up in a family where love was shown through gifts in Gary Chapman's five love languages most people heard of five love languages even if you never heard of Gary Chapman um, they are words of affirmation acts of service gifts quality time and touch so maybe you think uh, love is gifts so if you grow up in poverty perhaps you don't feel loved or maybe you grew up with an abundance of stuff and as an adult you ex still expect your parents to pay for your cars clothes house cell phones and you know whatever else those things are learned if that's how you learn to love you may not see love in modern animism because the trees aren't giving you stuff your cat probably is not calling you names so you've got to learn a different way to see it and to feel it before I get to that, I want to talk about how it's embedded in modern animism to help you see it, okay? So sovereignty. Sovereignty is about being the king of your own life. It's authenticity, leadership, delegation, standing in your power, and taking care of what's yours to take care of. If there's no love at the foundation, this can look selfish. It can look like it's all about you. But if you are doing you as a form of self-love and other love, it takes on a whole new meaning, doesn't it? For example, if I don't have strong boundaries because I'm afraid of being taken advantage of and I don't want any I don't want to let anyone in, that's fear, not love. If I take responsibility for myself and my family out of duty, that's obligation, not love. The actions look the same, but the motivation completely changes the way that it feels. And trust me, we can all tell how something feels. For example, I know someone whose father did all the right things. He taught him to swim, played baseball with him, and helped him to get through college. But it was all done with exasperation, impatience, and an attitude that just said, I'm doing the right thing. If you asked him if his father loved him, I don't know that he would say that he felt loved. Maybe his father did love him. I'm sure he was doing the best that he could. But I'd also be willing to bet that that is how his father learned either how to be a good father or how to love by doing what society says you're supposed to do. So in this case, dad wasn't being sovereign. He wasn't calling his own shots. He was following some script. It sounds like he was doing it with resentment because it wasn't what he wanted to do. So where's the love? Where's the sovereignty? Now let's say that another guy did all those same things with his son. He taught him to swim, played baseball, and helped him go to college, and he did it from his heart. He did it because he wanted to. Don't you think that the relationship would be totally different so it's not what we do necessarily it's how we do it it's the intention beneath it yes sovereignty is important it's how we play our part in this wheel of life it's basically carrying our own weight so that someone else doesn't have to it's about contributing as much as we take so that the system can sustain itself if I make my behavior your problem or your fault it's a burden isn't it so let's see, how can I make this into a picture? Uh, if it's snowing, 
and I leave all my snow on the sidewalk and you fall down, that's not really cool, is it? I don't expect to shovel the whole world, but if I do my sidewalk, then the community is well cared for, isn't it? That's sovereignty. It works for you and me. Now, if I do it to avoid a lawsuit, that's practical, but not loving. If I do it out of obligation or fear of being sued, it's done, but not with the same energy that it would be if I were doing it out of love and care. That piece is invisible, but the feeling is not. The love that we give always comes back to us. When you see these huge funerals where people from all walks of life show up to say goodbye to somebody, you know that that person lived with love. You may have someone who does all the same things, but it doesn't have that kind of connection because although what we do is important, it's not as important as the love beneath it. And connection is the same. There's a difference between connecting out of love, connecting out of need, and connecting out of trying to stay safe. Some of us learn to stay safe by making others comfortable. We're really good caretakers. We put others' feelings and desires first and don't know how we feel until we know how they feel. If they're good, we're good. That's not love. It may make things feel peaceful, but it's at your expense. You're not standing in a place of sovereignty. You're not connecting from a place of love. It's coming from fear. You're starting to see the difference? Now let's say that you're lonely. If you want to feel close to someone, so you sleep with them. Lots of people do this, but it doesn't really get you what you want because there's no love in it. And if you learn that connection means having a body nearby, you may share time with a lot of bodies without ever really having any love. Now that's cool if it's mutually agreed upon, but that's not love. Are you seeing the pattern here? There's a lot of ways that we show love that may or may not have any love in them. It's not the acts that create love. We don't get love by doing certain things. Love is something we give. It comes from us, from our being. And I give love um, when I'm shoveling the sidewalk, holding open a door, making love, or smiling at someone. Maybe I'm even giving love when I'm holding firm to a boundary. It doesn't always have to be something enjoyable to come from a space of love. Maybe I go to work every day to a job that I don't like because I love my family and I want to make sure that they eat. So let's look, take a look at that and um, what that might look like for a moment. If I'm going to a job I don't like, but I'm doing it out of love, I probably have some gratitude in there, huh? Like I'm happy that I have a job and I'm happy that I can provide. So how much disappointment and unhappiness is there? Maybe I want to be skydiving instead, but if I know my why, I'm probably not all that disappointed. Life is going to be at least okay, and not better than okay, so love goes a long way. So if I've got love in the way that I approach sovereignty and connection, then I set myself up for love and oneness. It's already there. All I have to do is open to it, and bam, it's on. It's really that easy. If you grew up with it, you saw it modeled, you practiced it. It was reinforced and it was easy. But what I'm realizing recently is that for a lot of people, that's not true. There are all these things that we call love that aren't loving, and I see this a lot. People use words, and I probably do too, that don't mean what we think they mean. So we're confused and not communicating too clearly. Love's not violent or complicated or painful. First Corinthians says love is patience, love is kind, it doesn't envy, it does not boast, it's not proud, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. And that pretty much sums it up. If you see something or do something that is not that, pause and ask yourself what's really going on. 
So I talked about it in the context of sovereignty, connection, and oneness. And another thing that we say at Pan Society is that everything is sacred, alive, and connected. Everything means everything. Potholes, fleas, traffic, and coronavirus are sacred. I know we like to think about things that uplift us and make us feel good as being sacred, but love is at the root of everything. If you can see life in that way, I promise your lens will transform. It won't make all the discomfort or sadness go away, but it will help you to feel connected and like you're living on purpose. And that's true whether you're at your lowest, you're homeless, or you're on top of the world. Modern animism is a complementary duality path. That means that everything exists because it has an opposite, and that's how our brains work. It registers and labels things depending upon how they compare to other things. Is that mouse big or small? Well, it depends on whether you're comparing it to a gnat or an elephant, right? Is the oak a good tree or a bad tree? Depends on whether it's in a forest or growing in your basement. <laughs> Probably won't like it if it's growing in your basement. Um, everything has a proper place. If it's too much, too little, or in the wrong place at the wrong time, it's probably not very beneficial to us. But that doesn't mean it's not beneficial at all. Perhaps it just means that we can't see the benefit, or that it could be really beneficial somewhere else. Take foxglove, one of my favorites. It's poisonous. And it could stop your heart instantaneously. But if you use it in the right dosage, it's a life-saving heart medication. Look at kudzu. It's a, uh, considered an invasive weed. Tons of weed killers have been sprayed on it in the USA because we haven't figured out how to tame it or make money from it as a crop. But in Asia, it's used both as a food to protect against times of famine and to make cloth. So is it bad? No. Everything has a purpose in nature. Everything. Every plant, animal, insect, mineral, and person. When you see your relationship to everything, it makes it easier to love everything and everyone. You see how we all dance together through life. I'm a meat eater. I survive because of all the chickens, fish, and cows that give their lives for me. And I'm grateful to all the peas, tomatoes, and pumpkins. This is why we have harvest festivals, to remember the sacrifice and give thanks. Some creatures provide medicine, some food, some shelter, or cloth. And humans are at the top of the food chain, so not many of us get eaten. But when we die, if we're not embalmed, we return to the earth to provide food for worms molds and other decomposers we give um, we make fertilizer with our with what's left of our body so it all cycles back around it's all related it's all sacred and alive and some take this to mean that paper or dogs or trees have human consciousness and this is not what this means and this is just my interpretation so feel free to disagree but when we treat things like humans I believe it diminishes their essence we're not all meant to be humans or we'd be humans we each are made from the elements. We all have masculine and feminine energies, but they're blended in different ways to make us different. Each person's different, but we share the same human essence. Every pine tree is different, but it shares tree essence with all the other trees and pine essence with all the other pines. And if you want to connect to um, other things, this is the first step. We have to meet people and things where they are. And that's an aspect of love, letting people and other beings be who and what they are rather than what we think they should be. And since humans have dominion over the earth, we have to be careful how we use that power. There's a movement to give trees and rivers legal personhood. And that sounds like a loving thing to do to protect them, but let's think this through. The love, sovereignty, and connection, oneness lens, okay? So are trees people? No. <laughs> are they energetic beings with nervous systems and intelligence? 
Yes, but they're not people. They don't reproduce like we do, eat like we do, or care about the same things as we do. They don't have the same needs as we do. And all you have to do is meditate with one and meet him where he is, and I assure you, you will see that. I hear all kinds of people say things like Mother Earth is angry with us, or the coronavirus is nature's way of getting back to us. And these beings don't think like humans. They're not humans. And they're not concerned with revenge or self-preservation. Look at a dog. Actually, yeah, let's look at dogs and cats. So this will show you what I mean when I say that other creatures are not people. So if you're old enough, you remember back when vets didn't have pet insurance. Dogs didn't have regular checkups, medicines, and all that sort of thing. Dog rumors existed, but they were definitely not as busy as they are now. And we didn't have emotional support animals or therapy dogs then. Or if we did, it certainly was not on the scale that it is now. They were seeing eye dogs, drug sniffing dogs, sheep dogs, but that was pretty much it. Now we treat dogs like people. And as a result, they're neurotic and sick. How many pets do you know that are fat, diabetic, and have some type of medical issue that they have to take pills for? That's not a dog's nature. Why do we have grain-free dog food? What wild canine ever ate wheat? <laughs> Isn't that strange? Why do we have healthy dog food with peas and sweet potatoes in it? Dogs are carnivores. People think that they're doing their dogs a favor by giving them table food and things that people like to eat. Subsequently, dogs are fat and unhealthy just like we are. And dogs are not people, folks. <laughs> Trees, river, the earth are not people. They need to stay clean and true to their nature, but they don't have a need for legal status or legal protection. Does legal status make you more of a person? Or were you a person already? Legal protection doesn't mean anything if there isn't a person to enforce it because a tree or a river can't go to court. It can't complain. So while some people think that fighting for things like this is a way of showing love for nature, let's take it back to love, sovereignty, and connection. Love is a foundation. Now, what's the problem? Let's say we're talking about clean water. The problem is clean water, okay? So we want to protect the river so that it stays clean. All good. I totally agree, all right? So if it's not clean, the problem is that people don't love the river and don't appreciate it, so they're polluting it. So instead of them telling them what to do and forcing them to comply, which is a violation of sovereignty, why not instill that love within them and they can police themselves? The Aboriginal people didn't have laws to protect the rivers because they saw the spirit, the sacredness within them, and they saw how they depended upon the water to live. They took it from... Um, a give and take thing. They take from the river, the river gives to them. So do that. Teach your children that. Teach your friends that. Teach anybody who listened to you that. That's far more powerful than putting up a fence and threatening somebody with legal action. Approaching it legally is like saying it, doing my way. And that's not sovereignty. That's not connection. That's bullying. Now, this time it's for a good cause, but what about when it's not? Who's to say that whoever's in charge will enforce these laws in the best and kindest way? If you believe in sovereignty, connection, and oneness and love, it applies to everything. And we don't have to agree on how it applies, but it applies. If everything is sacred, alive, and one, that applies to everything. And as always, I don't want you to take my word for it. Don't believe anything I say without testing it for yourself, because maybe this doesn't work for you. You know, who knows? I could be wrong. So here's how you do this. And it may take some time before you're able to do it with confidence and consistency. So first, cultivate your inner child. Uh, I did a YouTube video about that recently, and it might help to go peep that. 
Um, too many of us lead with the intellect instead of letting our air, earth, water, and fire be balanced. We know with our head instead of our whole being. And the inner child doesn't have those filters, it just knows. It's instinctive, curious, and open. This is the little person inside you who liked to play in mud puddles, wasn't afraid to talk to their invisible friend, or believe in leprechauns. And your inner, inner child will entertain any idea. Now your critical factor will reject tons of things that it sees as being not logical, not real, or nonsensical. But how many people do you know who have spoken with trees, human spirits, rivers, or crystals? Once you've done it a time or two, you will see that their energy is not human energy. They may not speak in words. Probably not really speak in words. They don't to me, anyway. It'll more likely be with symbols, pictures, or feelings, because those things are kind of universal. And I can tell you that most of the time that I go to the spirits with help for something, and it doesn't matter which spirit I'm talking about, the message is some variation of the same thing. And this could be because of the type of questions that I ask, but they usually tell me something like, don't sweat the small stuff, you've got this, or it's going to be okay. And if you ask a tree what it needs from you, it might say, water. <laughs> I've had that happen. Uh, if it's a sapling, it might need a vine cut away from it that's choking it out, but it usually doesn't need anything from you. It doesn't need saving. It's being itself in nature and living in harmony with the sun, air, microbes, plants, and animals. And help me is the type of thing you typically hear in a codependent relationship, not a sovereign one. So if you think of yourself as a hero who is out to save the planet, check your ego first. It might be that you don't know as much as you think you do. The river knows it's powerful. The earth knows its power. People get so uptight about the earth being destroyed, and I'm fully on board with conservation and sustainability and things like that, no question. But if we damage the water or the earth, they will bounce back. It's us who will get wiped out. We can't live without them. They can live without us. And why we haven't figured that out is beyond me. It's like killing the goose that laid the golden egg. And why do we make that choice over and over again? I just don't get it. Okay, let me go back. I digressed. <laughs> uh, I was talking about love. Love the river. Love the earth. Love the trees. Love, you know, show this love in rituals, holy day celebrations, through your actions and prayers, and teach your kids that love. Someone asked me the other day, at what age do you start teaching your kids about animism? And I found that an astounding question. To me, it was like asking, at what age do you teach your daughter about being a girl? We're always teaching her what it means to be a girl. It's not a lesson. It's not something we have set aside and have a conversation about. At least it wasn't when I was growing up. I mean, there might be some aspects of it when you have a conversation, but you're always teaching them. And all these adult conversations that we have, like talks about sex, become unnecessary or at least greatly reduced. If you believe, if you live what you believe, if you make it visible. In the TV show Vikings, uh, you see the cast often sitting around the fire telling the sagas. You know, tell your sagas, tell your family history, repeat the myths, fairy tales, and hero stories as teaching stories. Tell stories about animals so that your kids learn about their connection to their food. Grow your own food, hunt your own, raise your own, give gratitude to the animals and the stars. That's how you teach your kids about animism. You know, you teach them through your behavior, through, they, just, they learn everything by watching you. 
and include them in rituals. Help them make their own ritual clothing. Help them create their own rituals and altars and you know all of that. They're really intuitive. They're so much closer to their inner child than we are. So maybe they can teach you something. You know, they haven't been stomped on as much and haven't had it harassed out of them yet. So they're both great learners and good teachers for us. So how do you show love? If it's through gifts, that's going to be hard to show your love for the trees. I suppose you can give the trees offerings, but I would suggest showing your love through acts of service or words of gratitude or prayer. The trees receive it, trust me. And if you create a relationship with a tree, sit and notice the energy around you when you approach. The tree will acknowledge you, just like your dog acknowledges you. They're intelligent. So for me, the things that are closer to being human like, are easier to love because I can relate more easily. It's like being able to relate easier to Americans or females because we have shared experiences. So don't take for granted that other people are like you. Don't take for granted that other entities are like you. Let them be who they are. Accept them for who they are. That's love and sovereignty. That'll open the door to connection that's real, not based on fear, need, control, trying to be a hero, or something else that's not love. If love is not at the foundation of what you do, what flows from your actions will not be 100% of what it could be. I won't say that it's bad, just not fabulous. We want to go for fabulous, don't we? Think about a time when you were insecure, controlling, or needy. What kind of choices did you make? I'll bet they weren't sovereign, loving, or things that led to a greater sense of connection. Now think about a time when you were little, and you did something impulsively out of anger, not love. Probably wasn't fabulous, but you probably were able to easily slip back into your happy, forgiving child self, weren't you? Love is our set point. It's where we naturally go unless we grew up without it or it was distorted. So I hope I haven't given the impression that we shouldn't advocate for animals, the planet, or trees. That is definitely not what I'm saying and I want to specifically spell that out. And I hope that what I conveyed is that we're all partners with our planet, animal, mineral, and human brothers. And if we treat our fellow entities like they are humans, we may come to erroneous conclusions about what they need. And if we impose our will on others, we may be violating their sovereignty. If we approach with love, sovereignty, and connection, and use our beginner mind, the solutions that we come to have a greater likelihood of working for everyone. I think there's a lot of individuals, companies, and nonprofits who do good work at providing for animals, plants, and humans. I also see some who try to use that help for political gain, to get people to join their church, or have power over us. And my perspective is that any help, quote-unquote, help, that comes at the cost of sovereignty or connection is not worth it. It's everyone's right to choose how to live. And that could be a hard line to walk, but it's one that I grew up with. And if it becomes habitual, it's easy because the foundation is love. Now, I'm not saying I'm perfect. Far from it. Um, our culture is divisive and continuously makes it hard to stay in that vibe. So I have to self-correct sometimes. But it's possible to be there. And who or um, what does it feel like to be in that space of love and oneness? So I'll leave you with this thought. Just before I sat down to record this podcast, I stepped outside to connect with nature because I like to get grounded and peaceful before speaking. Now I was standing under a dark, clear night sky. The frogs were singing their mating songs and the stars were just starting to twinkle and that's all it took. That's all it ever takes. In a space of a breath, 
I'm overwhelmed with how blessed I am to be part of this wonderful world. It's all so beautiful and magical, and every piece has some amazing part to play, and I'm a part of that too. It's just more than my heart can bear, and that is what keeps me connected and in that space of love, the sky. The sky does it every time or a child's face, or chocolate. It actually doesn't take much more than seeing through the eyes of my inner child and being mindful. And from that space, I can keep an open heart, forgive, let people choose their paths for themselves, and not get in that controlling, judgmental space, because who cares? We're all one. It's all good. It's easy to see the love in everything from there. So find your way to tap into that, and keep it handy. Fire that trigger often. The more love we see, the more we express. It's the kind of thing that keeps cycling around, so feel it. Give it away and let it underpin all that you do. It will help to create a lot less stress, a lot more trust, deeper connections, greater understanding, and a lot more meaning to your life. And remember, please, if you didn't grow up with it, it's okay. You can learn to feel it. It's not outside of you. It's a part of all of us. We just sometimes need to clear out the junk that stands in the way of us believing it's there, believing we're worthy, and allowing ourselves to have it and be it. So these topics come from conversations that I have with you guys, both in and outside of our Facebook group. And if you want to join the conversation, join the Facebook group. We're also on Instagram and Twitter, if those are your preferred platforms, and you can send me an email at lauraatpansociety.net. Your questions are really important. It's hard to talk about modern animism when it's your culture. When I ask people in counseling if there's anything significant I need to know about their culture, they're always giving me this blank look. It's like if you live in a cave, that's your reality and that's the lens you see through. And in your mind, everyone lives the same way. But when someone asks you about the green walls, you can say, oh, I don't have any walls. No walls? Yeah, it's more like a cavern than a cave, I guess. And that's how you start to build conversations and understanding. So please send me your questions and comments. I'm Laura Giles for Pan Society. Thank you all for being here. We'll see you next week. Bye.